Welcome to the Adventure Audio Podcast. This is episode 145, and this is actually a conversation that was recorded between Laval and I last summer, and we did this after he uh, did an Everesting, and I wanted to have him on the Everesting Podcast. So that's what a portion of this conversation is. The first 10 to 15 minutes is actually uh, was unpublished and was not intended to be published. It was really just Laval and I spitballing some ideas about some epic ultra endurance rides that we want to do uh, nearby our home in Calgary, Alberta. So if you're planning any ultra endurance riding, 100 miles, 200 miles, 300 miles, something like that, uh, you might find that piece of the conversation interesting. It's certainly a glimpse into our personalities and kind of funny to look back on um, because this was predates Laval being the co-host of the Adventure Audio Podcast. So a fun conversation that we wanted to bring out to you. And we hope that you enjoy it. So here's a quick preamble on why I wanted to get this piece of conversation out to you. First of all, Laval is away, unsurprisingly, riding across the country. He's riding across Cuba. And he has also reached the summit, so the highest point of Cuba, which he's done in a large number of countries. We'll try and confirm exactly what that number is uh, in a subsequent episode. So hopefully we'll have, I'll be able to corner Laval and uh, just get to grill him on Cuba and we'll get to hear all about that adventure. Uh, This is something that Laval does like every year or multiple times per year. He just goes and picks a place and explores often, often by bicycle, which is really, really cool. Um, I wanted to get this conversation out because I wanted to make sure that people really understand how privileged we all are to have Laval as the co-host of this podcast. I certainly am. Uh, it's a great honor to do so with him. Laval has just an unbelievable roster of accomplishments, and I'm not sure that people even really know that. Um, in addition to being a commercial airline captain, which he's done for decades and flown all over the world and all over northern Canada specifically, uh, which is I mean, a, a massive job in itself, uh, father at husband and he has done some absolutely bananas stuff he's the still the only canadian to summit mount everest without the use of supplemental oxygen he has rode from halifax canada to brest france he did that in 53 days um we talked about that with tyler in our the first time that i met Laval was on this podcast when we had him on and we talk about some of these accomplishments if you're unaware visit lavalsaintgermain.com it's just unbelievable some of the stuff that he does so not only do I feel greatly honored to have Laval as the co-host of this show but also as uh, my upcoming buddy in adventures so as you can tell in this conversation we are obviously on a collision course for some really big bike rides and that's going to be really really fun we're going to try and document some of that stuff too so not only coming out of this do I want to do an episode about Laval's adventure in Cuba but I'd also like to do an episode with him about how we prepare for long distance bike rides, 100 mile bike rides, 200 miles, maybe 300 mile bike rides. Uh, What do you do? What's the list? What's the equipment look like? What about uh, bicycles? All of those types of things. How do you consider some of those things? And I'd love to know what Laval thinks about some of that stuff because he has gone really, really deep, not only in the pain cave, but in the fatigue cave and sleep deprivation and really understands a lot of those things and understands himself and his own physiology. Uh, because of some of the circumstances that he's put himself in. He's one of the most interesting and curious people that I know. I wanted to get a conversation with him out uh, this week to you. He'll be back soon. We're going to record more episodes with, uh, with both with guests, but also just some with Laval and I. So as we head into 
what we are hoping to be a really big riding season in spring in Canada. We'd love to hear from you. So please reach out to us anytime. It's adventureaudiopodcast at gmail.com is where you can reach us. And you can also reach us anytime really on any of our social media platforms. We try and be really responsive there. So if you're able to reach out, we'd love to hear from you. So just before we get to this conversation with Laval, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Rewire Fitness. It's a mental fitness platform that helps athletes reach their full potential and avoid burnout by providing integrated tools that improve readiness, recovery, and resilience. We all know that mental toughness contributes to at least 50% of our athletic performance. And yet how much time do we spend actually training our minds? So that's where Rewire comes in. It's a very, very cool app. Uh, I've been using it and it definitely is helping me uh, understand how my mental preparedness impacts both my training and then performance. So to learn more, visit rewirefitness.app for 45% off today. Uh, The podcast has been brought to you for a long time by the State Bicycle Company and this episode is no different. So visit state at statebicycle.com. They've got a carbon fiber frame out. So they're just really progressing since we started working with state they have done a whole bunch more stuff they're taking the company into cool new directions but maintaining their ethos of affordability and cycling for the masses right now they have a code it's adventure or pardon me it's audio 100 so that's going to give you 100 dollars off a complete bicycle keep in mind they have Bicycles starting at $3.99, so that's like 25% off. It's a lot. So whether you need a commuter bike, a fun bike, a single speed, or a higher performance bike, check them out at stakebicycle.com. Lastly, with respect to sponsors, just want to put this out there. We don't have anything formal yet. We do are far enough along to say that we are going to be working with 4i. Uh, which is really exciting for us because 4i is based in Cochrane, Alberta, which is just west of Calgary, somewhere that we can ride our bikes to, somewhere I frequently do ride my bike to. And they are uh, all about high performance with power meters, heart rate monitors. They're on the definitely the tip of the spear on cycling tech. So we're very, very excited to be working with 4i. Wanted to drop that. We're going to try and get some cool content out there to you. That's it for my preamble. So once again, Laval, thank you for joining me as my co-host on this podcast. It's an honor to do it with you. And uh, it's fun to look back on this conversation that we had last year. I hope everybody enjoys it. Thank you. Hey, good ride the other day. I saw your uh, Lake Louise and back. That is fantastic. And don't think I'm not going to talk about it on this interview. (laughs) Thanks, man. That was, uh, yeah, my buddy Dave and I, we just, we were like, do you think we could make it, you know? And we're like, well, let's. Let's see if we can, because last year we rode, we rode from Cochrane to Bow Summit and yep. then back to Canmore and we got picked up in Canmore and we were like, so it was 200 miles and we were yep. sitting at the, uh, at the visitor center having a beer on the grass and we were like, we probably could have made it back to Cochrane. Like, that's yep. what, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't yep. help it. So we were like, so we figured it out from my house. We're like, what if we had no driving in the morning and like left the second the light, like the sun was up. Yeah. Make it back before it went down right like the solstice challenge so we yeah we made it to loggins and had lunch and did you have a out. sausage roll there that's my standard biking uh, meal at loggins is a sausage roll no but i had i ate just about everything that i possibly yeah, could. <laughs> yeah i just worked my way down a pizza and mac and cheese and a peanut butter cookie and coffee and just i was flying that day and the weather was kind of shitty so you guys probably had some thunderstorms i'd imagine some bits of rain and 
Totally, yeah. No, we, we were pretty lucky on the way out. Uh, we could see stuff building and we had a headwind the entire way, like all the yep. way. Like, um, and it was pretty stout at times. And we were like, it's okay as long as it's a tailwind on the way back. <laughs> like it's all yeah. right there. And psychologically, we A, we knew that the wind was likely going to be in our favor on the way back. But it's also, it's a it's a significant downhill from Louise to Calgary. Yeah. So yeah. we're, you know, as long as we can get there, we can probably do it. But when we were leaving Louise, it started hailing and like, then the wind got swirly. So we had, we had, periods of tailwind on the way back but we also had periods of headwind on the way back and yeah two storms like so much rain like just absolutely soaked filthy like it looked like we'd been in a cyclocross race when we got back like, nice good job i i opened that up and i went holy shit that's a good one like uh, that's your longest ride now right it is nice good job it is yeah yeah so thanks it's uh it's intriguing. It's really, I just, there's something about like picking something that you know is like kind of on the fringe, right? Like if you have yep. a mechanical or like if you have a bad day that it might not work out. So like I could always ride a hundred miles now. Like it's yep. just, is it six hours? Is it eight and a half? Like, of course I can ride a hundred miles, right? Exactly. Like, but there's something about picking something that's like kind of just oh, yeah. right, right on the limit that is. Isn't that a great feeling when you get home? amazing and yeah. I just like afterglow from it and yeah. then you kind of start thinking about maybe the next thing right yeah so yeah so 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 I got one in mind for us I think we should do now you just got to hear me on this because this is a big one um <laughs> Jasper to uh to the casino on highway one so highway 40 turn off over highway pass through Longview and to uh Calgary <sighs> and and it would just be called the Highwood Pass is all you'd call it. So on your Strava name of the event, it would just be this Highwood Pass. And then in the description, you could say the long way. So I think Calgary to uh, Calgary to uh, sorry, uh, Jasper to Calgary is about 425 or 440. I think it's 425 to downtown because I've looked at that. We thought about that. We're like, well, what if we just got like a bus or a lift to Jasper and then just rode home? Right. That's the trick. That's the trick is you got to get a lift up there. Um, and now you you could you could put your your bike on the on the bus. But the problem is, is that you got all your, you got your civvies, your clothes with you. You got to pack shit up. And so the best way to, to do it would be to find somebody to give us a ride up there. And it doesn't really matter what time you leave because you're going to be riding in the night anyways. But uh, it'd be nice to be through the ice fields uh, during the day. And then uh, up and over the highwood, so it would be a good one. I think that would be from the highwood home is about. Uh, I live downtown. You live up in the northwest, right? So probably yep. two hundred and I think it's two hundred and thirty k from the casino through Longview back to my house. So you're looking at a uh, two thirty minus the seventy, so that's one sixty. We'll call it. You're looking at. Uh, just a hair under 600k and my longest ride's been 500 in one day <clears throat> and it's doable 500k is totally doable we could have gone far further totally doable like i, I easily could have gone further <laughs> i don't know about easily yeah boy making that turn on 40 would be really <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah uh, that would be once you go by to kiska though you're committed so you just keep on riding yeah, because it's like, yeah, and you, prob you probably have a tailwind. 
it's like straight east of Calgary. It would be really hard to make that turn. Uh, 600K. No, no sleeping? Nope. You don't have to sleep. You don't that turn. Like, like this adventure race I just did, like we were sleeping like a couple hours every 24 hours, but you don't need that. As long as you put you, you, you push through what you're called your wacko, your window of circadian low, which is usually three till about 4.30 in the morning. And then once the sun starts to come up, it's unbelievable the difference. Like you go from being so tired, you're literally falling asleep on your bike or falling asleep trekking and to being wide awake and ready for another 24 or so. You just push through this, you go through the lowest point you'll ever be in your life uh, physiologically. And then all of a sudden you spring back. The body's amazing. So it is amazing. So like, well, how would you try and find that? Like, where would you try and do the night riding? Would you, would you try and leave Jasper at like four or five in the morning and then you'd yep. probably get into Highwood in the dark, you up and over Highwood in the dark? Yeah, so you'd be, let's say, 20 hours. Uh, so if you left at 5 in the morning, you would be there around, well, you'd be you'd be probably top of the highway at sunrise, early, early sunrise, right? So if it takes you 20 hours, let's say, to get to the corner-ish, uh, let's say 18 or 20 hours. So if you left at 5 in the morning, you'd be there at, uh, let's say, 3 o'clock in the morning at the turnoff. And you anticipate being at the summit probably just as the sun's up. If it's, a, you know, it depends what you know how late in the summer we do it but you'd probably be crossing over the top at uh at sunrise and then you'd be sunrise all the way back through long view and it'd be fantastic i'm not saying no keep in mind <laughs> keep no, it in mind. That. all right i will i was also thinking about going across the province it would be a yeah. cool but like now not to like dismiss it but if you went from the crow's nest area like from the bc border there to i think walsh like through medicine hat it's funny i've That's, done i've looked at that just recently have you yeah just looking at going from the from ferdy like from the bc alberta boundary and come come out south of the cypress hills yeah yeah exactly and just like picture with the bc sign picture with the saskatchewan sign that would be amazing amazing ride I, it's only about 400k yeah and if if you could it's it's hard to be fussy um like i'm pretty busy so like usually if i got like a flag in the ground on a date i usually need to kind of usually stick to it but if you could kind of cherry pick weather and you got a tail yeah like, it tailwind. actually pretty fast like oh yeah you know you could do that in probably like 12 hours of moving time or something like that that Especially would be a wicked ride or strong guys baseline yeah. with the tailwind like and it would be it would be a blast so that would be epic so let's, uh, and there's something about saying that you rode across the province. And it's, yeah. It's kind of cool too. At the so. narrowest spot. <laughs> yeah. And pretty easy to get into and out of, like to get dropped off or to get. Yeah. Up. So. I love that part of the world. I love South, uh, Southeastern Alberta down around uh, Cypress Hills, Fort Walsh and spectacular. I do too. It's underrated. Like, obviously I love, <laughs> I love Rockies like everybody, but the Southern Alberta is, it's got a really cool landscape and the valleys are different and. Riding yeah. on stone. Yep. Yep. Yeah, what a spot for kids. It's all super cool. So maybe we should. Uh, I wonder if there's an FKT for crossing. Uh, I wonder if it's ever been done from the boundary. I mean, if you, I, I think, I think a buddy and I looked at it that you can connect it, uh, you know, via gravel bike from the BC boundary. There might be some hike a bike section, but what an epic that would be. <clears throat> oh, you'd want to do it on gravel? Yeah, I, I think, I, I think to connect it, to do it like without using the highway 
at the beginning, I think it'd be pretty cool to go straight across. So like from oh. as far as far south as you can go, probably come out on uh, uh, in um, probably come out in Waterton National Park, hit the highway there and then start riding east would be kind of cool. OK, yeah, we should uh, we should think about that, too. OK, well, let's uh, quit talking shit and get to work. All right, let's get to it. So Everesting, I always like to start off with a little bit of background on it, on just cycling. But we, we, I need to give a little more context on you because you're you're a unique you're a unique podcast guest for Everesting because I think you're my first guest who has actually climbed Mount Everest and has <laughs> an Everesting by bike. So it would be ridiculous to not bring that up. Um, okay. So you have done some background on on you, Laval have done some truly incredible things, including climbing Mount Everest, including rowing a boat, like rowing a boat from North America to Europe. So yeah. Uh, yeah. some absolutely epic, epic stuff. So anybody who's listening, I would encourage you to go to our adventure audio episode with Laval where you can get into a little bit more of that background. But to say that you're no stranger to tough physical challenges uh, would be an understatement. But what attracted you to Everesting in the first place? And, and what about, um, what about cycling makes you want to want to do stuff like that? Yeah, that, I don't know. I mean, it's you could ask any Everster that when it comes to the cycling Eversters. But I don't know if it was maybe I heard it. I don't even know if I heard it. Maybe on one of your podcasts on your other podcasts, uh, an interview that you did. But I just started uh, thinking about it uh, late last summer. And I started snooping around and saw that uh, Mount Revelstoke was purportedly the hardest climb in Canada. But um, I just did the math and saw that uh, on on uh, Mount Revelstoke, if I did it six times, I could uh, get an Everesting, 26K each way. And uh, I just went there and um, just put it together. I just went there by myself, got a, a cheap motel at the base of the mountain, and uh, and I and I pulled it off. And I just, I, it, I mean, it's like anybody who's listening to this podcast, I'd anticipate is that it's so incredible, just like you did uh, on this epic ride you did about a week ago, um, Pete, is that you put together a plan, which is just a line on a map. Uh, in this case, I guess it's a, a, a line tilted up at five and a half percent for Revelstoke, but you just put it together and it's just, I love that uh, dreaming up something and and uh, pulling it off. So it was that simple. And, and, and to be able to do a an Everesting. I mean, I did. I, I guess I did a little more than Everesting. I did a ten thousand meter climb. It was. Uh, it was. It was great, and I felt good. Um, it was beautiful scenery. Almost ran into a bear uh, on the road, and uh, yeah, I, I loved it. So I've got no uh, no regrets, and now I want to do more, especially after hearing about your twenty thousand meter in one week challenge. So now you've oh. planted that seed in my head. Did you? So okay. So I tried that. I heard. I gotta try it again. I can't. I can't leave it undone. Unless I think it's truly beyond my ability, but I don't think it's beyond my ability. I think I could do it. It would just be brutal. But did yeah. you just did you see that Andy Van Bergen put that out there too to the to the Everson community? He did that no. No. today morning. Yes. Oh. So good for you to bring that up. October second to eighth. He wants okay. to make a public challenge to support Jack Thompson's effort to climb a million meters this year. So he's trying to get the Everson crew behind it and see how many people can throw down in, in Jack's support and try and create more awareness for what he's doing as a group. So 20,000 meters, October 2nd to 8th, which I, it's, that's hard for me to ignore. 
so I'm probably going to have to try and attempt to do that. So there you go. There you okay, go. Okay, well, we'll consider the gauntlet <clears throat> tossed, and uh, let's just hope that living up here in the Northern Hemisphere, that October 2nd, 8th in the Rockies is going to work for us. So we never know we could have deep snow. Me is what it sounds like. Sorry, what was that? It sounds like a lot of Zwifting to me. Oh, yeah. 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 That sounds like a lot of elf Zwift to me, but I can, you know what? I can, I can rationalize it into thinking that it's, I'm just going to pack in a really big training week in the start of October. That's yeah. how I put my mind around that. Yeah. But yeah, you need to look at that. Would you, so, okay, let's pause, let's pause your Everesting conversation on 20,000 meters for one second. Would you try and do that with an Everesting in it? Or would you try and even it out? If you if you could if you had an ideal plan if you my ideal plan would to be do be doing it continuously for forty it would probably be about forty four hours I think of uh, of cycling I think that would be my my way of doing it I'd, I'd love to do it outdoors and I'd like to do it uh, continuously you wouldn't try and do it throughout the week so yeah I'm, I'm like no okay three thousand meters a day that's my brain yours is just stay up and do the whole thing. That's just too much, 3,000 meters a day. I'd rather just get it over with. <laughs> and have like five days of keeping your legs just do, up. Just do uh, two solid days of cycling nonstop. Well, you'd have a double Everesting badge if you slept for less than two hours between them. Yeah, or not slept. We'll see. I, I think you'd have to have a support team for that one in case something went wrong. Because what happens is your body doesn't generally fail in those long efforts. It's your mind, right? You start making mistakes. You start hallucinating. When I've done uh, adventure racing where you're pushing it that hard, you, yeah, you hallucinate. All kinds of weird stuff happens. You, you, you imagine you're with somebody else. You see stuff on the road. And, uh, you know, coming down, uh, let's say, a mountain like Revelstoke, um, 26K downhill, you're doing 70 kilometers an hour. You don't want to start hallucinating or, or miss a corner. So I think it would be good to have, um, especially once you got through, like, the first day to have somebody with you as, a, like, a safety car or something interesting okay yeah so everybody's got a different approach to this <laughs> yeah. jack's been doing an everesting every friday all year yeah like every friday all year and then he's doing you know another two to 2500 meters basically every day which Unbelievable. is so crazy so crazy i mean like nearly ten thousand feet a day it's just like it hurts my brain okay so mount revelstoke when i was so we live we, you you live in calgary alberta same as me not an ideal Everesting location, as as you realize when you start to look at Strava segments and start to look at stuff on maps. We actually don't pave super steep roads here, and I think that's partly weather, but that doesn't really explain all the steep roads in Europe because uh, they get plenty of foul weather. We just it, they they don't really exist here. I think it's more modern way of building roads. I think a lot of paved roads in Europe weren't originally built for cars, so they were, but they got paved over. How did you land on Mount Revelstoke? I looked at it. I looked at it long and hard and yeah. thought about it. I, to me, it just wasn't worth, it wasn't worth the drive yeah. to save the repeats. Although, like having done mine with 119 repeats, six sounds pretty civilized in some ways. I don't know why that repeat number is so psychologically tough on people. The meters are the same. But yeah. I'm really curious as to how you arrived on, on Mount Revelstoke. I did. I mean, I I remember when you did your effort uh, on that hill um, west of Calgary, that little hill. That's why you had to do it 118 times. And I just thought, oh, that would just be just a mind-burning endeavor to go up and down, up and down on this thing. So I thought I'd like to settle into a tempo on the climb, 
and just grind and grinding 26k up and then and then zooming 26k down it's it sounds like a lot but it actually i really enjoyed it and the scenery is spectacular you start in the old growth forest right along the highway in revelstoke and for international listeners uh, revelstoke uh, british columbia is about a four-hour drive west of uh, of calgary alberta canada here and it's uh it's a completely different um I guess it would be called an ecosystem. It's on the other side of the continental divide, so it gets a right. little more rain, a little more old, gro- old growth, larger trees. It's very beautiful, and then you eventually climb up to right up to um, up to the tree line. So it's it's a beautiful a beautiful part of the world, and I, and I like that. And I also like the fact, Pete, that I could go to a motel, be completely isolated and insulated from my family and anything from work, and just be on my own. So. I love the idea of just packing up and uh, setting up my base camp there. And just all I had to do was pull it off, which is really simple. Just ride up and down, up and down. And I came down once, made a hot bowl of soup because I was hypothermic because it was raining so hard. And then just kept on going, changed my clothes. And I loved it. It was uh, it was a special day. I've, I've had a lot of special hard days, but uh, I'll never forget that one. So I'm, I'm willing to go back again. And tell us a little more about the hill. It's 26 <clears throat> on one way. So you did... Yep. 300 and change, maybe just a little under, a little over 300 kilometers. Oh, no, you did a 10K, so you probably did more than 300K. Yeah, I did 10,200 meters, and it was uh, 381K. Uh, so I did it uh, just over uh, six times, or seven times, uh, seven times, uh, seven times in a bit, because my... Um, my headset unit and my watch, my Garmin watch, were showing two different elevation gains. And I thought, well, I'm just going to make sure I keep on going. So once I got to 10,000 meters, I, I I did another 246 just to make sure. I didn't want to get off there and see that I was short by, you know, a couple hundred meters. So I decided to do a, a 10K. And so, yeah, it was uh, 21 hours of uh, continuous cycling. Strava says I burnt 10,000 calories. And... Uh, and yeah, it was good. I had all kinds of weather from some relatively nice weather to some freezing cold weather and, and then lots of rain. But it, yeah, it was um, it was it was fantastic. So highly recommended. So there's sort of two types of Everesters. There's Everesters who are like really keen cyclists and, and like to go and seek out new challenges. And once they tick that box, then they're like happy they did, but they're out. And then there's other people who like almost immediately start planning their next Everest thing. You sound like you're the latter. Well, it's because like, it's your fault that you started. You started an Everesting podcast, so you're just you're just feeding the addiction. So, I think we're doing this podcast because I'm upset with you. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I'm glad. Look, if that's part of my legacy, then then I can I can live with that. I can take it. And we live um, in the same city, which which makes it pretty cool. But you know, it's it's it just seemed like a natural fit. I've 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 stood on top of Everest and uh, in 2010, and I thought to do an Everesting on a bike would uh, add to that. So yeah, it's I, I love it. Now George Mallory II, who sort of accidentally created Everesting, not accidentally, but I'm sure he thought it was just going to be his own little personal challenge. When one day when he did that in Australia, and then it's become this phenomenon. He said, though, that that the Everesting by bike was was physically harder than any single day he spent on the mountain. How how would you compare? They're so different. But like, how would you compare the two as a single day? That obviously depends on your weather, right? Yeah, I, I mean, Pete, it's it's interesting. Uh, we're designed to uh, we're we're 
I think we're programmed biologically to forget pain, right? That's the, and I've said this many times in different podcasts that it's said that if a human would remember pain, a woman would only have one child. So I think in order to continue moving on, we forget pain. So it's always hard to go back and sort of give you an equivalent level of pain when it comes to these, these endurance events. I didn't, and I'm not trying to sound pithy, and I'm not trying to sound um, uh, like I'm uh, extremely fit, but I didn't find the uh, the 10,000 meter Eversting um, uh, that difficult, um, and, and that could be me. I mean, maybe I'm just uh, designed for these long grinds, but um, well, I'd say uh, that's that's a given. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I didn't. I didn't find it. I, I didn't. I never went into the uh, into the red zone where I thought I'm not gonna like. There's never a question where where uh, I didn't think I was going to make it, never once. And um, so, but on Everest, I mean, uh, I did it without oxygen. And um, yeah. when I was on the descent, I was uh, so exhausted. I was told by an American climber uh, previously, um, before leaving from Canada, that if you're climbing without O's, without O2, you are going to want to nap and if you nap you're never going to wake up and I was well aware of that but I got to a point where I was going to nap and I was totally okay with napping and and knowing that I was going to die because I was so exhausted but I knew that if I died I'd have a long nap and it sounds insane sitting here at a thousand meters above sea level talking like that but um, I've never been at that level of uh, of fatigue and probably hypoxia as well um and uh, so <clears throat> I've never approached that type of pain on a, on a, on a bike ride or any other endurance event where I was ready to die. So it's, t- it's, it's a different, different type of pain and, and it's difficult to, uh, to uh, equate the two, but uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was beyond words exhausting. And the only reason I, I think we've talked about this before, but the only reason I'm here is that I, I came upon a, a, a dead Canadian climber who was uh, lying in the snow who had taken a nap and he'd been napping for a year and that kept me going. So, so yeah, it's a different type of uh, exhaustion for sh- for sure. I'd say Eversting is far more enjoyable than Eversting on a bike. So it's it, having an experience like you did on Everest really puts <clears throat> all of this stuff into the context of, of still being fun. It's type two fun, but it's yeah. still fun, right? Where where climbing Mount Everest is, that's not type two fun, that's life or death situation, right? Yeah, but it's self-inflicted as well, right? You're, you're, you're going up there as a, <clears throat> as a uh, Westerner and, and uh, do, so, I mean, we could go off into a lot of discussions on Everest, especially nowadays. I mean, the lineups now, I mean, I was there in uh, 12 years ago, but it sounds like a bit of a circus. I climbed it from the Tibet side, so it wasn't a circus like you see on the Nepal side, but uh, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's been sullied. It would be like doing this uh, Revelstoke Everesting with 400 people on the road trying to do the same thing. It just wouldn't be the same. But um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, the reason we do these, uh, these tough endurance events, this type two stuff is because of the feeling afterwards. When we're in the middle of it, it obviously hurts. Um, and I think I've, I'm able to, <clears throat> I was just doing an adventure race about 10 days ago in the Okanagan and 120 hours, uh, close to 600k of uh, of mountain biking, uh, trekking, snowshoeing, kayaking, and when you get into um, into the real darkest zones of pain, uh, what I do is I just uh, I think about like sitting in a hot tub. You just sort of immerse into it. You start to 
you let it flow up your legs and then over your quads and over your hips and over your torso. You just don't let it go above your neck. And uh, so if you're neck deep in pain, you just have to keep it below your head because if you get it above your head, you're going to, your head always fails before your body does. And that's the way I think about it as I just, I actually kind of welcome it. So there were some sections of that race recently where like we had a 140 kilometer mountain bike section and part of my job in, um, on uh, in adventure racing is I end up uh, towing people that are um, fatigued or th that are having trouble keeping up with the pace. So when you're towing after 120k up a up a mountain road on a mountain bike in the middle of the night, you uh, you go into some pretty deep uh, into the hurt locker pretty deep. But I actually really enjoy it. I just love settling into that pain, just keeping it just below, just to the top of my neck, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. There is. There's something I always comfort myself with the knowledge that it this is only a matter of time yes pressure over time i've told that to tyler before like you just continue to apply pressure even if it's just a little bit yep. don't just keep moving just keep turning and the clock is ticking even if it doesn't feel like it and it'll end right and then you'll well, have and it's so interesting your your long ride the other day and for the listeners um pete did a 396k jaunt on your bike the other day did yeah 396 he, he i don't know why he didn't do the extra four but uh <laughs> call it a call it a 400k bike now it's interesting there, there's something called teleo anticipation and i don't know if you heard of this but it's the it's the anticipation of the end of a physical task that allows more efficient efficient uh energy expenditure so for example, yesterday I rode uh, the long way to work. It's a, my 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 commute to work is 15 kilometers from my house to the airport where I work as an airline pilot. But yesterday I did 150k to work, so I left early. And 150k ride is not uh, that big of a ride, but because it was a 150k ride, I started to really feel it at about 120k. I went, oh, this is a long ride. But I can guarantee you that on your 400k effort the other day at 150k, you were just riding. You weren't even near your your limit, and it's all about the anticipation of where the end is. So, um, if you set big goals and go on big rides, I can guarantee that if, if the biggest ride you've ever done is a is a is a metric century, a hundred k, if you made a two hundred k effort at a hundred k, you wouldn't be feeling like you're near your limit. It's incredible the way the mind works. So when you go out and do a back to the Everesting thing, when you go out and do this Mount Revelstoke climb for ten thousand two hundred meters, when I got to you know, 8,000 meters, it was just like, I, I, I just wasn't suffering. I bet you if I was going to do a, a half Everest that day at 3,000 meters, I probably would have been suffering. So it's, it's amazing. It's all in the head. So you keep that pain neck deep and that's it. That's such a great point. Like that's one of the best points I think we've ever had on this podcast. And to hear it articulated that way is so true because we do, we immediately calibrate from the end and we start working our way backwards. And There's a, a central programmer I think that we have for lack of a better term, and that meters out our perceived exertion. So if you have a 200K ride at 100K, you're feeling 100%. If you had a 100K ride at 80K, you'd be suffering. And uh, and it's amazing. I mean, we were talking about long rides before we we started recording. At least I think we we weren't recording, but uh, we did. A buddy and I did a, a continuous 500k effort to Fernie, British Columbia, from Calgary, the long way, uh, paved roads the whole way, but a, a good effort. And I remember I started to feel it at 300k. I went, yeah, I'm starting to feel it. But if that would have been a 300k ride, 
at uh, 200k, I would have been feeling it. So it, I think it's um, setting these these big, long, lofty goals changes the perceived effort for sure. That's, yeah, I always tell people that who are thinking about trying to get into stuff that's maybe a little bit longer, a little bit more challenging, is that we 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 all have this many thousands of year old software from our evolution that you simply cannot change, but you can learn the software, right? Yeah. You can software but you can learn it and you can trick it right and that's what well, we're also we're also never using it it's like uh it's like if you look at the i'm wearing i'm using a mac right now i can see a bunch of apps in the bottom of the screen and there are apps in there that i never use and i think in our society we just we don't use them we don't get into this nobody does a 396 kilometer ride in in one day for i can't remember how many hours you guys are out there in all kinds of weather and that's another thing is that if you're riding here, especially in, in our part of the world, you can easily go from temperatures near zero degrees Celsius in the morning in summer to uh, 30 degrees Celsius by the end of your ride. So imagine the the metabolic effects it has in your body. And then um, that adds a whole different dimension. So it's not unusual for a Calgary uh, long distance cyclist to leave with gloves on your thermals on and you go into those low dips in the foothills on the way to the mountains and, and you know it's around zero degrees but that day it'll be 27 30 degrees by the end of it so that's all that all adds to it it's the it's the it's the reason we do it right okay before i let you go for the international listeners not everybody lives in places where they could be coming down a, a pass or a hill and uh, have to dodge a bear so tell us, tell us a little bit more about this bear. A lot of people who come to Canada are very concerned about bears. They're actually, they're like statistically, they're not very dangerous to people really at all. Uh, but we, of course, it's really sensationalized when something happens between a human and a bear. Um, my advice is always to uh, don't be alone out in the mountains. So you mm -hmm. respected that advice, obviously. <laughs> I know you yeah. can know how to handle it yourself. Uh, you must have been on the lookout for bears. Did you even see what kind of bear was it? Like, were you oh, yeah, it, was a black, it was a black bear. Yeah, I mean, for I guess for international listeners that uh, don't live in uh, in North America in particular or in West North America, we have bears everywhere. Um, it's just it's part of the mountain landscape, and and I, and I have to say that uh, I'm an absolute wildlife nerd. So to do uh, to do any kind of ride and see wildlife just makes it so much better i'm the guy who's on a long ride and if there are rocky mountain goats on the side of the road or bighorn sheep or an elk or a moose or uh, that just makes it better so um that's just that just adds to it. it's a little bit of spice and yeah you, you come around the corner there's a bear on the road it's it's a as uh, as startled to see you as you are to see it and a little tap of the brakes it goes one way i went the other way and worked out it's far that's less dangerous Oh, uh, yeah. People should know that that's how 99.9% .9 of bear interactions go usually, yeah. right? Yeah, that for sure. I mean, you and the bear having a quick glance at each other and <laughs> making your separate ways. My my four hour drive to the base of that, to, to the town at Revelstoke is a far more dangerous than uh, than my bear encounter. So that's just that's just part of life in the mountains, right? Makes it yeah. uh, makes it even better. Yeah. Statistically, the most dangerous thing you'll do on a bike trip is driving at the trailhead usually, yeah. right? Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Just like flying, driving to the airport's the most dangerous part. Totally. So do you have any specific Everest things planned now, or are you just starting to get this 20,000 meters around? Well, I, I've got this 20,000 meters buried in my head, so we'll see what happens. And then you and I have talked about some long rides, so we just have to make sure that our um, 
our calendars work and we'll uh, we'll get out just for the listeners um, we live about 20 kilometers away from each other in the same city here in western canada so it's pretty easy for us to uh, get out on a ride and pete's been stepping it up this summer so i'm looking forward to uh to riding with you we've been circling it for a while yeah yeah i really appreciate it hey thanks for having me on i love your show take care man great to see you see you later talk soon